All right, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, beginning in verse 32, it says, Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Lisa and I were out on the lake recently in the boat. One of the beautiful things about our lakes is all the islands. You can, the parking lots can be full of trucks and trailers, and you get out on the lake, you can feel very alone out there because there's so many islands and such a huge acreage of water to cover that a lot of boats out there kind of get spread out and disappear a little bit. But on the way to and from those things, it also gives some hazards that you've got to watch out for. And one of those hazards is narrower spots. You'll have places where there's buoys marking rocks and, and other islands that are jetting out. And so it would be narrowed down. And so there's channels out there marked through the lake of where it's safe to travel. But when you come up to those narrower spots, obviously not that many boat widths go through those areas. And we were coming up on one of those on the way in off the lake. And as we came up to a narrower spot, there was a pontoon boat in front of us. And as you probably guessed, the pontoon boats don't move overly fast. And so we decided, you know what, there's a narrow spot coming up right up ahead of us. And so rather than zip on up around it, we're going to just slow down and just follow it through. And then we'll go around it after that. As we did that, so I said, you know what, we're going to back off a little further. I don't want them to feel stressed about it or pushed. And so we backed off a little bit more. Well, all that did was give the guy behind us that was coming up he figured that he didn't need to wait quite as long, and so he zipped around us. But then he thought he'd better wait for the pontoon as well as he went through that. And so then just as they got through the narrow spot, then he went out. About that time, the other guy behind us came zipping up along through there too. At that time, I figured, well, it's time to do something here. I gave the boat some gas to get out of the wake of the pontoon boat, and then I slowed her down. And when I, it was kind of a quick move, movement, and when I did, Lisa says, Hold on, I don't have my life jacket on. <laughs> And I said, it's okay. I just want to get over this guy's wake before I hit the next one. I don't want to be dealing with them both at the same time. So i got to jump over this guy's wake. Then I'll slow down for that one. Then I'll get behind him. And then it was clear sailing from then on out. But you know what? Sometimes those waters and you get different multiple boat waves going in different directions and things like that and narrow spots and rocks and it can be hazardous uh, ways to do it. And a life preserver is not a bad idea. As we look at the book of Hebrews, that's what we're dealing with. They're not out on a lake or charting their way through waters, but they're charting their way through the waters of life. And as they do that, these people have hit some rocky times in their lives. We've just read about some of the things that they've gone through. They've made public gazing stock, public humiliation, affliction, so it got physical as well. And the confiscation of their properties, they're going through some very hard times. They're sailing through some troubled waters. And in the end, at the very end, he makes this statement. He says... But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Remember we talked about those people last week. Last week he gave us a severe warning and said if we turn our back on Christ, if we walk away from Christ, we're also walking away from that salvation that comes with him. We're walking away from any hope of forgiveness in eternity. But now we get to deal with the more encouraging side of things. Last week he told them, look, you've got to stay true because of what you're going to face if you don't. This week he's going to tell them, look, you can do this. 
You can navigate these waters. You can do this. In fact, the way that he puts it is, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. These people need a life preserver for their spiritual life, for their eternal life. I remember when I was in college, in a doctrines class that we had, you had to pick a doctrine and study that doctrine and give a report. My doctrine that I picked was actually had two titles that were linked together. One of them was called Preservation. And one of them was called perseverance. Preservation deals with this issue. It's your eternal security. Can I lose my salvation? Am I secure in Christ? Or, or through committing some sin or something like that, can I, can I lose the salvation that I've been given? And the answer to that biblically is no. You can't lose your salvation. You know what? Your salvation wasn't earned by you to begin with. It was given to you. It was accomplished by Jesus Christ. If you can't earn it to begin with, then you probably can't lose it either. And the Bible is very clear that once we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we not will have eternal life, we do have eternal life. But it's very interesting. A lot of passages in the Bible, like in Peter's epistle, he says we are kept by the power of God. That's preservation. But then he goes on to say, through faith. We're kept by the power of God through faith. Not only do we come to Christ in faith, we stay in Christ in faith. And so when we look at it biblically, there's, there's two doctrines that are really like heads and tails on the same coin. Can I lose my salvation? No, you're, you're preserved. You're secure. But at the same time, then will I turn my back on Christ and walk away from Him? And the same answer, no. You are not only preserved in Christ, you persevere in Christ. That somebody of genuine faith that has been born again, old things are passed away, all things are become new, the Bible tells us, will remain faithful to Christ. Now, I'm not saying that every moment of their life they're, they're never going to blow it again. Even Peter blew it. When you think about Peter, he denied Christ three times on the night Christ was crucified. Where do we find Peter after that? As soon as he did it, he wept bitterly. He repented instantly. Where does he go from there? He goes back to the apostles. He doesn't walk out on the church and walk out on Christ. He goes back to the apostles and he's with them. And he's with the apostles when Jesus appears to them. And he's with the apostles. They're back fishing, earning some money, but they're back, back to fishing. But when Jesus comes and appears to them, he's still with the rest of the group of the apostles. And when Jesus reconfirms him, he's still with them. And so, yes, we can make our mistakes. We can blow it, but we're not going to just turn our back on Christ and go away if our faith is genuine and real. Because those two things are biblical truths. And that's exactly what he's telling these Hebrews. And he's been doing it for most of the book. He's telling them, if you can turn your back on Christ, you've made a profession of faith, you've made this confession, you've said you believe these things, if you can now drop that, you're not only dropping Christ, you're dropping the salvation that comes with it. In other words, the point is you were never genuinely born again. Your, your nature, your character wasn't changed, wasn't transformed into that new life. That's what we're going to consider this morning as we look at this passage is this idea of being a soul preserver. He told these people, you are not those who pull back and are destroyed. You are the ones that through faith preserve your souls. It's through faith that we come to Christ. It's through faith that we stay with Christ. Now, as we look at this, there's three different elements within this passage that we see that he points out to these people that they should get strong encouragement from. Well, the three elements that we find in the passage are, first of all, experience. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you were endured. And what did they endure? They endured a hard struggle with suffering. So he recognized that it was a very difficult time for them to go through. It was a, it was a real hardship. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach so that would probably be a little more verbal. 
humiliation, and affliction, he said. So that would be more physical. It says, sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. So he's, he's looking back and he's saying, you've done this before. You've held up strong. He's saying, you need to get back to where you were. You need to find that same strength. You need to have that same resolve, that same commitment. You need to find that same dedication. He says, I know it's in there because I've seen it at work in your life. That experience can be such a valuable thing. You know, I can remember when I was a kid. I remember one time I was going through a struggle with something, and I shared it with my mom. And my mom pointed out a similar struggle earlier in my life where I handled it. And she said, well, remember you did this, didn't you? And I was like, oh, I did. You're right. And then I was good. I wasn't nervous. I wasn't anxious anymore. I knew that I could handle it. Even in my adult life, I think about the time that my truck caught on fire. And when that happened, I kind of panicked. Of course, I was in it when it did it. But, I mean, even after that, I was kind of, wow, that truck is history. It was a 67 Chevy, so I should have known better. It's a Chevy. It was going to last. But uh, (laughs) if it was a Ford, I'd be in trouble, I think. But, no, I'm just kidding. Not really. But anyway, away from the truck thing. When that truck caught on fire and burnt, I remember thinking, oh, man, I can't afford a new truck, but I'm going to have to have one. I needed it for work. And I called my dad, and I said, Dad, will you come out and help me go truck shopping? Because he's good at truck shopping. I'm terrible at truck shopping. They live like five hours away. And he said, yeah, we'll come for the weekend. He said, but don't do anything until I get there. When he got there, I was expecting to get up Saturday morning and go truck shopping. We got up Saturday morning. Dad says, well, let's go pop the hood on that pickup. And you know what? Fifty bucks worth of wires and hoses, and it was back on the road and going. Yeah, it had a black spot in the middle of the hood that was supposed to be green, but it was working. Right? In fact, it worked until I went off to Bible college and sold it to somebody else, and I don't know how long it worked for them for, but I think probably a long time. But you know what was the difference? My dad had had experiences like that before. I hadn't, so it was new to me. I've seen some of the same thing in my kids. So my kids will get up against something in their adult life, and they're like, oh, no. And I'd be able to come along and say, you know what, that's okay. we just got to do this and this. And Experience is such a great help. It can be such a great source of encouragement and strength. And that's exactly what the author is doing here to these people. He's saying, look, you did this. Remember when you were made a public gazing stock? You not only handled it, you handled it well. You can do that again. You can bear up under this, and that's really what the word endure means, to bear up under. You can, you can handle this. There's two things that he pointed out that their previous experience should help them with. First of all, is that they, their previous experience was a compassionate experience. Back when they were handling it well, what did it lead to? One of the things that it led to, or that it showed fruit of, is compassion. It's often in the harder times of life that compassion flourishes. When things are going easy and things are going smooth, you don't see it so much. Well, maybe just because there isn't quite as big of a need for it. But you know what? When something tragic comes into somebody's life, when, when somebody goes through hard circumstances, hard situations, then you know what those around that person usually do? They usually say, what can I do? How can I help? Where can I get involved? What can I... And there's a million different little ways you can get involved. Sometimes it's kind words. Sometimes it's warm meals. Sometimes it's a helping hand. There's different ways to get in and help. But he's saying, you know what? That's what you were. You were compassionate. Sometimes you were the one in the, in the crosshairs, right? Sometimes you were the target being ridiculed, being made fun of. They said, but you know what? It wasn't always you. Sometimes it was your friend. Sometimes it was somebody else in your church that was in the crosshairs. Somebody else that was sitting in prison that wasn't you. And what did you do? You were compassionate. You stepped up. 
you came and were a source of encouragement for them. You were, not only so, but risking, when you think about this, risking it yourself. If somebody is in the middle of being made fun of and you come to their aid, come to their rescue, where does that put you? Well, if I picture kind of a scope dialed in on somebody, I'll pick Wayne back there since he's at the very far back, and you got the crosshairs set on Wayne, somebody comes in right alongside Wayne, what does it do? It kind of puts them right into the crosshairs, doesn't it? Well, that's what he's telling these people. When this persecution first started, when somebody was persecuted, you risked persecution yourself to come to their aid. It's kind of like in Philippians when the Apostle Paul talks about people that came to visit him in prison. And that's what they mention here, too. Well, these people were imprisoned. These people, other people were going to visit them. Well, if you think about it, if they're imprisoned for their faith, who's going to come and visit them? Other people of faith. And so they're a prime candidate to be looked into for also getting arrested and being thrown into prison if you're trying to get rid of that faith. And so these people were risking their own freedom, even their own health, as they were undergoing these afflictions. Why would they do that? Why would they come to the aid of people that were going through these things? Compassion. It's because, they, it's because they cared. The point that they're at right now, they're looking at pulling back, drawing back. It would also mean, as we talked about two weeks ago, turning your back on the congregation of faith there. So what are you telling me? You're going to walk away from this? You're going to go back so that you're safer? So that you're not persecuted? So that you're not made fun of? But So then you're going to leave your friends, your church member, the other parts of the body of Christ there? You're going to leave them to endure those things alone? Let's retreat for my safety. But when you retreat for your safety, how many people do you leave vulnerable out there that had you to bank on before? Remember, not too long ago, there was the Ebola crisis down in Africa. And then we had somebody that got it, came home with it from there here. And we're worried about this big breakout of Ebola. And there's all this stuff in the news about who do we let travel? Do we let those people travel here? Do we let our people travel there? Who, who do we stop traveling to try to keep a break from this thing breaking out? Right, and then you have these people that stand up and argue, and say, "You don't need to. You, you can't stop me. I'm a, I'm a doctor. I'm a nurse." And those people there that have the Ebola, they need our technology. They need our help. They need our assistance. And so we need to go. And so on the one hand, you had, you know what? We need to keep an epidemic, and that's a tough issue. I'm not weighing in on one one side or the other actually here, but it's a tough issue. But you had people saying, you know what? We need to contain it so that it doesn't break out, and that's true. At the same time, you have people that already have it and they need help, and that's true too. But you know what? You see that compassion in action where people step up and say, you know what, I'm, I'll go and help, risking their own life. That's what these Hebrew Christians have been doing. Risk their own life, health, freedom, comfort for the help of one another. Here's the way that he's using this. He's saying, look at how compassionate you were. You helped those people. You were compassionate. You cared. You got involved. And he's saying, are you really the kind that's going to stop caring? I don't think so. But not only were they compassionate, we also see that their experience was a joyful experience. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They were joyful. Now, right in that sentence he says, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. People taking your stuff. That's not a fun experience. I've, I've experienced it a few times myself. Once when we were living in Oatana, Lisa and I went took the kids to the library. Uh, we were getting kids out of the car. She sets her purse up on top of the van. Got the kids out of the car, got them in the library, got in there, realized, whoops, got the purse on top of the car, go out, it's not on top of the car anymore. It's a very vulnerable feeling. Because what's in a purse? Credit cards, driver's license, checkbooks, keys, key to your home, 
and the address of where your home is. <laughs> you know? So there's a lot of things that just kind of make you very vulnerable. You go to work quickly, calling credit card companies and the bank and changing the locks on the doors and those kinds of things. But you just feel very violated. It's just a gross feeling. I remember when we were in Seattle and our van got stolen when we were on a trip out there. We were sitting down there for a couple hours waiting for the, for the police to get up to us because they're pretty busy in Seattle. And uh, we're sitting there on the sidewalk, not too far from the Space Needle, just across the street from it. And we're sitting there with, uh, I think three of our kids were with us on that trip. And I remember thinking, you know what, while we're sitting here, I need to help our kids process this. You know, we'd had the first thing before. I know how violated I felt then. I was feeling very violated now. We just sat down with our kids on the sidewalk and we're like, you know what, we're okay. We're all right. We're missing some things, but we're okay. We're all on this sidewalk. It's daylight, and we're safe. We got family in the area. I don't know how it's going to happen, but one way or another, we're going to get off. A, we're going to get a rental car, or whatever. We're going to get off this sidewalk, and we're going to go home. The police are going to come. They're going to take our story. Or by the end of the day, we're going to be down at Pop Pop's house, and so we're all right. And we just kind of pointed out. We said, you know what? The people that stole the van are not all right. I would rather, so much rather, be the one being stolen from than the one doing the stealing. I would so much rather be stuck here on this sidewalk trying to figure out how to get off this sidewalk and get about our trip and finish our vacation and go visit, be with family and friends and stuff like that than the one who's rifling through our stuff right now or wherever they're at. And you know what it did? It worked out. It was a freak thing. We even found the van. And so we ended up driving home in our own van, had to replace a window along the way, but it wasn't even raining. And we were in Seattle. Go figure. <laughs> but it was summertime. Summertime in Seattle is pretty dry. The plundering of their stuff, the taking of their possessions, the, the life savings that they were building up, the retirement that they were looking forward to, the home that they had worked to establish, their property being taken, their, their possessions that they cherished and that had sentimental value to them, those kinds of things were being ripped away from them. And he said, you handled it joyfully. You know, Jesus told us to do that. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus points out to him, he says two things. When you suffer for me, when you lose something for me, I repay it plus. Secondly, they did the same thing to all the prophets, so you're in really good company. And so he says, when you struggle for me, count it all joy. Well, that's one thing to say. It's another thing to do. But you know what? That's exactly what the experience of the apostles were. When you read up to Acts chapter 5 and you find the apostles going through some persecution where they're arrested and then they're beaten and told to stop teaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then they're set free. The apostles in Acts chapter 5 says when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. And notice, they're not rejoicing because they've been set free. They're rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I paid a price for something that's worth paying the price for. In James, he says, not just for being persecuted, although they were experiencing persecution, but all kinds of trials we should be considering that way. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, every trial that comes our way, every hardship that is put on our plate is an opportunity for us to grow stronger, an opportunity for us to trust more. Don't get depressed. Get excited. Count it all joy. Because you know that God is allowing that thing into your life to strengthen you, not to tear you down. To build steadfastness. 
Hebrews says endurance. You endured at the beginning. You have further need of endurance. And these kinds of hardships are the very thing that can give us the strength to make us endure. So not only do they have their experience to look at, but he talked about them being enlightened. There's an enlightenment. He's talking about when they first came to Christ, when they recognized their need for Christ as their Savior and they put their faith and trust in Him. I remember very vividly the day that I put my faith in Christ. You know, I'd been going to church for about a year and a half. I was 20 years old. And uh, I just never really got it. I thought I got it. I thought I was doing good things. I was doing good things. I was going to church. I was changing my life in some other good, positive ways. But I never really understood the Gospel until all of a sudden one morning. And it's not a certain thing that was said or anything. I think it was an accumulation of everything I'd learned over the last year and a half. And all of a sudden I realized I'm going to hell because of my sins. But I also knew that's when it made sense. Jesus died for me. And it was like a light turned on. It really was. Those old cartoons that I'd seen for years were ding, a little light turns on over the top of their head. That's the best way that I could describe it. All of a sudden, oh, that's it. The clarity of the gospel all of a sudden was clear to me. Why? Because the Holy Spirit just regenerated my heart. Gave me the ability to see. I was enlightened. I noticed right away that all of a sudden the world looked very different. Now I understood the gospel. I understood why Jesus came. I understood who he was so much more clearly. Yeah, I had a lot to learn, but there so many things just made sense now. And you know what? Passages like Jesus taught, these paradoxical kind of passages like die so that you can live, give so that you will receive, these things that just don't seem to make much sense as an unbeliever all of a sudden become more clear where Jesus says rejoice because you're persecuted. Well, that's exactly what happened with these people. They were enlightened, so now they're seeing things differently. You see, if you're not enlightened, if you haven't come to Christ, then this world is what you have. In fact, I remember reading a book one time that pointed out, it says, this world is what you have, so every day you live, you're one day closer to leaving all of your most treasured possessions, you're what you have behind. But if you're a Christian, you know that this world is just getting you ready for the next one, and that's where you're going to spend most of your time. By far, every day is one day closer to the end of your life, which means you're one day closer to what you treasure, what you value. And that's exactly what these people were. Their mind was enlightened so they could see things clearly. Because notice what he says. First of all, he points out the the quality of what they're looking at, what they put value on, what they treasured. And we see that because it says better. It says you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession. Not only does he point out that it's better, but he also says it's going to be not only quality, but quantity, because it's going to be an abiding one. And so it's a better possession. And you'll you'll recognize that the word better is one of the key words of the book of Hebrews. I want to go from here just into chapter 11. Right now he's using their own example, and he's saying, look at your example of your previous life of faith. Chapter 11, he's going to use the example of others, all of these heroes of the faith. And he's going to say, Look at their examples and learn from their examples as well. Now, let's just do that. Now, notice in this passage right here, he says, they could allow people to take their stuff and be joyful about it. Why? Because they knew that their stuff being ripped out of their hands was achieving for them a greater reward. They were getting better possessions. They weren't losing here. They were gaining. That's that enlightened mindset. To be able to have your stuff ripped out of your possession and look at it like, hey, I'm gaining here. I'm not losing. Well, that's exactly the mindset of all the heroes of faith of the Old Testament that had gone on before him. When you get up to chapter 11, verse 16, it says, And as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
So these people, as they're having their earthly possessions ripped away from them, they recognize that they're increasing their heavenly possessions, and that's where they want them. They're saying, I'm not content with the country that I have here. I'm seeking a heavenly one. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue as the hymn goes. Then a few verses later, in verse 35, it says, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might gain a better life. And at the very end of chapter 11, it says, Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You see, the whole point of that is that if you have this enlightened mindset, if you put your faith in Christ, then you're recognizing that there's something better out there. You have that ability to look and see that it's better for us to send our treasures on ahead. That when we're being persecuted for our faith in Christ, we're not losing, we're gaining in this transaction. You know, you just can't, you don't see that without it. this enlightened mind. If I would have boiled down kind of the essence of faith, that's it. That even when it looks like everything is falling apart, you know that you are better off with God than you are without Him. The essence of faith is to say God is better. And it's most closely aligned with reality. Well, not only does the quality of, of what they were looking to gain, also the quantity, as we mentioned, because He said, because it is an abiding one. Jesus told us, don't lay up your treasures on earth. Lay up your treasures in heaven. Why? They don't last on earth. Moths, rust, they don't last here. He didn't tell them not to lay up treasures. Everybody's going to lay up treasures. But what He does tell them, treasure the right things. But then that leads us lastly to this endurance. These three elements that would make these people soul preservers, that would, that would help them to be faithful, give them the encouragement they need to the preserving of their soul, this experience that they could bank and draw from their own, and next week we're going to draw from others that have gone before us, enlightenment, having that enlightened mindset, seeing the things that are really are better as they are better. And lastly, he calls them to endurance. He calls them to endurance. Now notice, notice what he says. He says, do not throw away your confidence in verse 35. It's the same word that he used back in, in chapter 4 to talk about us being able to enter boldly into his presence, to have that confidence that we, as we enter the presence of God through our high priest Jesus Christ. But then he tells them, you endured. You already did this in verse 32. And then if we skip up to verse 36, he says you have need of endurance. And we do. In our lives, we're going to hit troubled times. We're going to have hard things. It's just like whenever I think of endurance, I always think about sports. I remember when I was in, in uh, football in, in high school, they do the same thing today. You always start out the same football season the same way every year. You don't have school yet, so you always start out with two-a-days. Now, why do you do two-a-days? Because they're going to try to whip you in shape. They don't know what you've been doing all summer. and they're, Right off the bat, we're going to do a lot of things that are going to get you in shape. We're going to do a lot of running, a lot of things. Why? Because when you get to the fourth quarter of a football game, we're not going to lose because we ran out of steam. But two-a-days are grueling. But you have need of that endurance for those games that are coming up. So two-a-days, they start whipping you in shape. I remember the first two-a-day I went to one year, a friend of mine had a chocolate milk for breakfast that morning before our first two-a-day practice. wasn't a good idea. I hope it tasted pretty good the first time because it didn't look like he was enjoying it too much the second. Our life is going to have some hardships. It's going to have some struggles. And God wants to build into our character that strength that we already talked about a little bit. And so he's trying to create endurance in our lives. And then he ends up, in the end of the passage, calling it faith. Because notice what he says in verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You see the point that he's making? He's saying, look, we have confidence. You need this endurance. And if you have those two things, what do you have? 
We are people of faith. This, this is kind of one of those definitions of faith within the Bible. What is faith? Confidence promotes endurance in our life. And when we confidently endure, that is what we call faith, my friend. That ability to keep on. That ability to stand fast. That ability to endure. And that is what preserves our soul. Our salvation was given to us by God through a condition of faith or a channel of faith. Our salvation is maintained by God, by the power of God, through that same channel of faith. There is no such thing as somebody who preserves their salvation and does not persevere in their faith. And we are of those who persevere to the saving of their souls.